0: Good morning. Let's turn our Bibles today, not to Revelation, but to Psalm 32. If you are here with us last week, Pastor D uh, reminded us we're taking an uh, interlude uh, from uh, the book of Revelation while Pastor John was away. He'll resume that series next week. Last week, Pastor D as he reminded us where Pastor John left off in Revelation 14, reminded us that, that God's people are a singing people. And Think about the types of things that God's people sing throughout history. And and Dee led us through some important reminders from Psalm 107. And So we're going to do that again today. Think about the types of songs that that 144,000 or we today sing. Uh, We're going to look today at Psalm 32 as part of that interlude. Uh, The great cover-up is what we're looking at today. Now, when we hear that phrase or phrases like that, we immediately think conspiracy theory. Uh, we think about you know, the, the word great there, the adjective, describes you know, the significance of the people involved. Uh, a politician you know, in a high position of power abusing that situation to cover up wrongdoing. Well, that's not what we're looking at today. We're looking at today a song that we're reminded of in Revelation from... Chapter 1, Revelation, Uh, and that's where John pauses and he calls us to give glory to the one who has freed us from our sins by his blood. That's a theme throughout Revelation, the work of the Lamb on behalf of us, his people. And that's working today. The cover-up we're looking at and singing about is what God covers up. For honest, we struggle sometimes to believe that God really covers our sins, that He really forgives this sin. Or when we're going through trials, that He really shelters us, that He really loves us and cares for us. For honest, we as believers, no matter how long we have known Christ, we struggle to believe the greatness of God's covering for us, His people. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, uh, the great cover. I and mean, we'll read Psalm 32 uh, as we go along. But let's, let's pause yet again and let's ask for God's blessing on his word. Father, we thank you you have given us your word, Lord. You have revealed yourself to us through it. Lord, not only that, but Lord, you've given us the gift of your spirit who helps us to understand it to believe it, Lord, to live it out. Lord, we need him today as your people. We come before you, and uh, Lord, we we cry out for you to renew our minds by your Spirit, to satisfy our hearts with your unfailing love to believe, Lord, that these things are true of you and that, Lord, you intend them towards us. Lord, you know the the various struggles that... um, We're wrestling with today, whether that's uh, sin and temptation or grief, anxiety or depression, uh, strife among uh, good relationships. Lord, we lift all those things up to you, Lord. Help us to believe that, Lord, you're at work in all those things. Lord, uh, work in the hearts and minds of your people to remind them that you are great, And what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do, Lord, is great. Lord, I thank you for your spirit, Lord, and his word. I pray that your spirit would help me in my weakness, Lord, to be able to explain this. Father, we think of those today who need you, may not recognize that um, they're apart from Christ. Lord, we'd love to see them be drawn by your spirit. Today. So, Lord, we come to you expectantly and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we come to Psalm 32. We've actually looked at a couple of verses already from this chapter. As Pastor John led us through our responsive reading from Romans 4, excuse me, yeah, Romans 4. If you remember that, the emphasis there that Paul is trying to drive home is that God is consistent in history, He's always consistent accepted sinners like Abraham graciously. He accepted Abraham when Abraham trusts in him, apart from anything he had done. And he also quotes this verse, a couple of verses here at the beginning, from David. And we'll look at why he does that in a moment. But So we've already looked at the first two verses, but we'll read them again as we think about the great cover-up and why God's cover-up is great. I want us to see, first of all, that it's great because God covers our sins. Let's come back then to what Paul quoted in verse 1. This is God's Word. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit... There is no deceit. So here, David, at the very beginning, reminds us of this this great truth we see throughout Scripture, that we can trust that God, in fact, does forgive. He does, in fact, cover our sins. But David, in wanting us to see the greatness of it, he says, let me tell you about what led up to this situation. Now, we don't know the details. Some people think perhaps this is uh, written after... um, He had committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband Uriah murdered, and that's certainly possible, that's not explicitly stated, and that's okay. The the thing that he wants us to see is what makes God's covering so great, and that comes out in verses 3 through 4. He says this, talking about the past, For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now, when he says in verse 3, when I kept silence, what we're going to see now in verse 5, what's implied there is that He's saying, when I kept silent before God about my sin. Notice what he says in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So David was silent before God in that he did not confess this sin or sins to God. And so he's implying that as a result of that, as a result of him not acknowledging this to God and being silent before him, that's why he was experiencing God's hand heavy upon him. He says the result of that experience was my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now, we, most of us in here can re, you know, relate to a Saturday. If you get started late in the summertime on that yard work, it makes a difference. Timing's everything on a Saturday to do yard work, especially especially it's outside. Especially if it's that first real heavy, um, just addressing the, the backyard in general, the shrubs, trees, whatever, putting down mulch. When you're really dealing with that for the first time in several months, when you're finished, you're drained. You come inside, you're just numb. Even that, that cold glass of water, just the, the, the fan overhead. still, it's great, but it's not uh, life-restoring just yet. You feel absolutely sapped. And David said, this experience was not just a Saturday afternoon, it was day and night. David was crying out, but he wasn't crying out to God. Now, certainly God knew what David was involved in. God didn't need for David to tell him, oh, by the way, God, I've done these things. Here's the good news. Here's the great news. God knew exactly what David had done, and it's because of that that God pursues David as the hound of heaven who will not let him enjoy his sin. We think about the specific example with Bathsheba that we do know about. David was able to enjoy that for a season. Perhaps you've been there as well where you as a believer, you have played around with sin for a season or sins with no consequence in sight. And then suddenly that hound of heaven pursued you and you too felt miserable in your sin. That that is a situation that we hate, but yet we should love because it reminds us of God's greatness to his people. He will not let us enjoy our sin. He's going to drive us, like David, to confess it. And as we reflect on the magnitude of what we have done in our rebellion, God wants us to know, it's covered. The greatness of your sin cannot overcome the greatness of God's forgiveness. And David comes to the Lord and, and, and reminds us, God forgave me. I, I came to Him. I acknowledged Him. I confessed it, And He forgave me. It's nothing that I had to do alongside of that to get God to like me again. To get God to love me. It's implied that David tried to cover his sin. He says again in verse uh, 5, he says when he confessed it, excuse me, verse, yeah, the beginning, I did not cover my iniquity. When he confessed it, he no longer covered it. Think about the situation with Bathsheba. Certainly, there he tried to cover that situation. He tried all kinds of things with Uriah. finally, the point he had to have him killed in battle to get rid of what he thought was all the evidence. We think about David's situation there and, and we wonder how the man for God's own heart could have fallen into such behavior. We think about Achan. You remember him who, he was a contemporary of Joshua. You remember as Joshua was leading the people into their inheritance, the people were told, as you go and you take on these cities, you're not taking the possessions of the peoples for yourself. You remember how Achan rejected that. He rebelled and disobeyed. He takes valuable metals, precious metals. He takes clothing. And as any child will tell you, that's absurd. How, how could he have possibly enjoyed that? People would have known, hey, bro, where'd you get the new threads? Where, where'd they come from? We're still wearing what we left Egypt with, or we've been wearing for 40 years. I don't, remember, I don't recall passing a men's store on the way. And that's absurd. Children recognize that. We recognize that. But yet we do the same thing if we think about it. When I was a, a kid, uh, one of the things I was really interested in was Star Wars. And so with that, I, I collected all the Star Wars figures that came out with each movie. And for birthdays and Christmases, my parents, my relatives would give me either new figures or you know, new PlayStations or vehicles. That was a really big deal for me. And I was very careful to take inventory regularly, make sure that they all had their various capes and and weapons. And so uh, one day I was taking inventory, and I was struck with the fact that Princess Leia did not have her gun. And uh, I was not satisfied with that. I wanted all my collection to be complete. So as a young child, I, I went with my mom one day to a... Uh, local store, be like a Walmart. This was a a chain in South Carolina, no longer around. But as my mom was going down the aisle, I said, Mom, I'm going to go to the Star Wars aisle. I'll meet with you later. So I found that Princess Leia, I didn't need the character. I had her. But I looked around, and I tore the package open, and I stole the gun because I was intent on having my collection complete. And it wasn't long after that I began to feel the weight of what I had done. I began to be racked with guilt. But I was not about to give that back because I was not about to disrupt my collection. And so I I, I thought, okay, somehow I can appease God. Somehow I can do something to get Him off my back. And so there was an older gentleman down uh, the street in our neighborhood, not a believer, and and, uh, I thought, I'll share the gospel with him. I'll get God to overlook the offense if I share the gospel with this neighbor. And so I did that, he did not come to faith, and, and still uh, I felt uncomfortable, uneasy, miserable on the inside. But I didn't want to deal with it head on with the Lord. And I was not a believer until I, I was uh, in my 20s, but I knew what I had done was wrong. But then I began to also be paranoid about what if I go back in there and they recognize me and they saw me and what if I had to go to jail. And so I was just gripped with paranoia. So one day I went in, and I said, Mom, I'm going to, I'll meet up with you later. And I went to one of the cashiers and I said, Hey, I found this on the floor. I want to give this back to you. And she thought it was like a screw or something from hardware. And uh, I didn't tell her the truth about where it came from. I just wanted it off my person and out of our house. I didn't want to deal with the legal consequences and what might impact me. That's not repentance. That's not dealing with my sin. I, I just suppressed any other thought about that and went on about my life. Now, that's laughable today, but we do that as adults as well. God, in the case of the believer like David, he will. Intervene, interrupt our life to make us miserable. And he won't let us just drop off the stolen toy with the cashier. We have to acknowledge it for what it is. That may involve dealing with other people, restitution or asking others for forgiveness. But that's the greatness of this cover. up. God won't let us get away with it. He won't let us cover it up on the inside. And perhaps you need to be reminded of that today. David wants us to know that this is is our God. He does cover our sin. We bear the burden of it no more. Paul says that not only does God not count good works to us, he he also doesn't count our bad works against us. David says that we're blessed when God does not count our iniquity against us. That's like if you're a, a math teacher and you would have been grading my math work in high school, you'd be looking at a column of Fs. And so in and, and God's economy, what he does is he gives us a ledger of A pluses for tests we didn't take. That's Jesus. But not only that, he takes all the Fs away. He doesn't count our bad works against us. And that's true of us today, believer. This is something David and Paul want us to celebrate. This is the greatness of the gospel. Well, perhaps today you're thinking, um, I've, I've done more than steal Princess Leia's gun. I've done more than make F's in school. I'm not taking a gun from a toy store, but I, I've taken from my company. I, I remember a few years ago, I was uh, in a car with a pastor from our presbytery, and, and um, he was, we were talking about how the Lord worked in our lives to bring us to himself. And he mentioned in his previous life in the corporate world how he had taken from his company. And the details were chilling as he, as he unfolded this, this life of deception. But he said how, the, how he could look back and still celebrate how the Lord broke him, turned his life upside down, and confronted him with the reality and the consequences of what he deserved. And the Lord used that experience to drive him to his need for Christ. And perhaps that's you today. Whatever you have done, this is the great news about the gospel is that It's covered by Jesus Christ. No matter what we try to do to get God to like us or to overlook those things. It's not good enough. That's why He summons us in our misery to look to His Son and and see it's finished. It's truly covered. We're children of Adam. Our our attempt to to cover our sin and and get God to look the other way, it reminds us of the garden. Remember, God and, and Adam had the same objective after the fall. They both recognized Adam and Eve need to be covered. Adam and Eve tried to cobble together fig leaves and said, look the other way, God. God said, that's not good enough. Yes, you you recognize the need to cover yourself before me, but I'm taking the initiative. Someone is dying in your place. I'm going to cover you so you'll be acceptable before me. So David says that this is a blessing. This is the greatness of God. He says that God covers our sin in verse 1 and He forgives us. That, That word forgive implies to take or to carry away. Now, kids don't try this at home, but when I was, a, I was a kid, and I would be presented with an unusual casserole I've, I've not previously tasted, towards the end of that meal, I would cover that with my napkin, carry that plate away, and when no one was looking, I would get rid of it. Now, you don't do that, okay? But that's what God does for us. He takes away what we cannot bear and stand. He takes away the misery, covers it, and completely takes it away. We bear it no more. So the the great cover-up here is great because God, in fact, covers our sins. Second, the great cover-up is great because in going forward, God covers us, He shelters us when we go through trials. In verse 6, David writes, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely... And the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. There's a store in Gainesville. It's a home decor store. It's called The Great Cover-Up. And they tell you all about the solutions they can bring to your home. But it's not just what they're telling us. They have a testimonial page. And so you can read about people from a wide variety of walks of life, needs, and you can read their experiences, and they can tell you, yes, the great cover-up was there. They, they exactly provided for what we need. And that's what David's doing here. He's giving us his testimonial. God, throughout his word, has revealed himself to be trustworthy. Apart from David's own testimony, but David is used by the Lord in giving us part of his word to say, this is a reality. It's not just head knowledge. Everyone, if you know the Lord, pray to him. Now, what kind of prayer is he talking about here? Certainly, he could be talking about confession of sin, and perhaps the, uh, the waters here are something similar to what David experienced in terms of a trial designed by the Lord to, to get his attention. But I would say even beyond that, this is true of all trials. David's saying this is true of God towards his people in all ages, to call out to him. And notice, doesn't mean that we won't face the onset of the rushing waters. That's still reality. But God is actively working to keep us close to Him in that experience. If you go to the beach with your children like I have, uh, you're, one of the things you're always going to do in good weather is to build that fortress. So as my kids have gotten older, they're recognizing, hey, we need to build this further away from the tide." But even then, they can't escape towards the end of the afternoon. It starts coming up closer and closer. So we've got to work at a furious pace then to supplement that wall, to protect that inner sanctuary. God is always at work. As those waters come upon us and are threatening to destroy everything around us, He's there, even when it seems like He's absent. He is continually working in all those circumstances from every angle to keep us as those waters come close. And so David says in verse 7, as God covers us in trials, he says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts or songs of deliverance. Again, David still needs a place to hide. He still needs to be delivered and going forward. But he recognizes, God is my shelter. He's my cover. I can go and I can hide and be safe. Come what may, he's got me. If you watch your your favorite uh, college team, most teams after the game, they'll all stand together and they'll they'll sing the school song. But notice after those particularly hard-fought victories, that seeing key players go down with an injury, and they barely survived. The players are beaten down. They're bloody. They're hurting. They're not only putting their arms around each other in solid, they're, they're propping each other up. They're exhausted. And on those occasions, singing that song together is particularly sweet. We belong to something greater than ourselves. And we're in this together. And David's saying, this is what God's doing around us. These are songs we can sing at the end of deliverance. After coming through on the other side, beaten and bloodied and wearied, we can look back and sing because God has covered us during our trial. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of God's anger. Because he's forgiven us. We don't to be afraid about the future because he's with us every step of the way in our trials. And so in verse 8, we read this. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Some people think this is perhaps God speaking directly to us. Uh, through David, or perhaps David is, is saying, I'm, I'm instructing you as well going forward. Seems like this is God speaking directly. And David's pausing as, as God speaks uh, to his people. But it just reminds us in verse 8, we're going to come to forks in the road. We need God to instruct us, which road should we take? It reminds us, for all the intelligence, knowledge, Experience we have, we still need God's counsel. And he says, I'm going to do this with my eye upon you. Earlier in the psalm, David laments that God's hand was on him as he was disciplining his son. But now, we're reminded that God's eye, the loving father, is watching his child. Earlier in the service, uh, Pastor John prayed for Becky Lemon, And I remember when Becky um, was our preschool director, and we've been blessed with a, a series of them, including our present one, Nancy. And I remember when uh, the Lemons had bought a Basset Hound puppy and she was showing me this um, camera system that she could watch on her phone of their brand-new puppy while everyone else was away, just making sure that that, that dog wasn't getting into trouble. And, of course, they have those things you know, for children as well. You can watch, um, you know, the baby wants sleeps, so or you've got uh, speakers on while they're sleeping in case it were to turn over and, and cough in the night. That's what God is doing for us. He's constantly watching us, not as a security camera, to do us harm and, and bring us to trial and to sentencing, but as a loving parent ensuring that the child is okay and is safe. That's because He loves us, and that's where we end up here. The the great cover-up is is great because God covers our sins. He he also covers us with protection in our trials. But lastly, the great cover-up is great because God covers us all through this whole process of forgiveness and safety through His love. He covers us with His unfailing love. It says in verse 9, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in hearts. I've been around horses just a few times in my life, and they are truly uh, magnificent creatures. They're beautiful, beautiful to to watch as they're trained and as they're ridden. That's not really been my experience, but uh, I can tell you a a similar situation that Rebecca and I had with our cat, Lucy. Uh, When we were first married and without children, we would go uh, usually every night of the week for a walk in our neighborhood. And a lot of people would be out, whether they had kids in a stroller or walking their dog. And our cat, Lucy, was an indoor cat. And so one day, uh, Rebecca was at a pet store getting some new supplies, and she came home with something I'd never seen before, and it was a leash for cats. Now, honestly, it looked like a dog leash to me, and I felt like there was something of an emperor's new clothes thing going on. But I thought, okay, <laughs> we'll try this out. And I was, we, we were both a little skeptical, but we thought, we'll, we'll give it a try. So... We put the leash on Lucy and came out the door, and she was initially intrigued, but she quickly locked down and gave no indication she was going to go for this walk with us. And so eventually I was able to get her down the driveway, and we began you know, pulling our mule. Well, after a while, as Rebecca and I were talking, it seemed like everything was going well. I was struck by the fact we'd been walking for a while, and I felt you know, no resistance at the end of the leash. <laughs> and I thought, I better look back. And uh, she had fallen over on her side, and I was dragging her <laughs> like a lifeless rag doll. She had given up. She refused to go along with those who love her the most. And in her obstinance, she just gave up. And that's what we do when we refuse to follow the Lord's leading even when it seems scary and difficult, and we want to go the complete opposite direction. What Lucy pursued today was not life-giving at all. When we, like David, when we are obstinate like the mule, we're pursuing a path that's not life-giving, but it's, it's sucking the life out of us. It's, it brings death. And that's the beauty of God's covering up, because it's life-giving He works to to bring misery as a result of our sin to show us this is real life. For years before I came to faith, my mom faithfully prayed, Lord, make him miserable in his sin. I had no idea, but when parents talk to me about a wayward child, I say, pray that prayer. God may not answer it right away, but pray that prayer. It's a good thing when God makes us miserable in our sin. And so David, as he closes out, reminds us, don't, don't pursue this. This is a life of folly. It it ends in destruction. And so he reminds us at the end that the wicked experience sorrow. For a while, we may, they may enjoy their sin, but its ultimate path is sorrow but notice he says he, that God covers us, verse 10, he surrounds us with steadfast love. Whenever uh, Rebecca or I have shared at our, our family table uh, something that maybe we're going through, something about our family that's, that's concerning, and one of us has been sad. Our children have come around us and they've just enveloped us in, in a group hug. And that's a beautiful thing. And that That means so much to us as parents. And so I've told my kids that in my office, wherever I'm at in my chair, I can turn and I'm going to see throughout my entire office on my bookshelves either pictures they've drawn or painted or pictures of themselves. I'm surrounded by reminders of their steadfast love and certainly pictures of Rebecca as well. Now, seeing those pictures reminds me of them and of events and experiences. It's not always the same as their actual hand around us in a hug, but it's a reminder of that reality. That's like the same thing with the Lord. There are some days that we go through our our life and relatively trouble-free, and we tend to forget. But it's always good to be reminded experientially that, yeah, these things, this is exactly who God is. This is what makes Him so great is that He means this. He's committed to this in our life. He surrounds us with his steadfast love, and he calls us in verse 11 to celebrate that. That's why we sing. We rejoice and we shout for joy in him because of this great cover that covers all of our sin by the God who covers us in trial by sheltering us, by that same God who covers us daily with this steadfast love. This is the greatness of who our God is. So if you're struggling with believing that that God does in fact cover all of our sin, we would love to talk to you about that. Maybe you're you're not sure about what exactly the gospel entails. We'd love to explain that. Maybe you're a believer and you're just struggling. David struggled to to let go of these things. That happens sometimes with believers. Maybe you just need to lament or, or confide in someone. We can do that as well. It doesn't have to be a member of the staff. It can be someone sitting on the pew next to you. Someone from your Sunday school class or uh, an elder or a women's leadership team. But that's the beauty of the body of Christ is that we're in this together to celebrate God's greatness together. So let's, let's close now in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we we take no delight when believers sin, but Lord, we think about whatever it was that David did, that you and your greatness, you saw fit, Lord, in your wisdom to ensure that we saw this, that we knew that we can come and find a gracious God. We don't have to earn your forgiveness. We don't have to get you to like us or love us. At the same time, Lord, we're reminded that even believers want to hold on to their sins sometimes. And so, well, if that's the case for someone today, Father, we pray they would not try to go the other way, Lord, and obstinate, but, Lord, that they would see that true freedom, true life is in Jesus. Father, encourage your people who are struggling. Help them, Lord, to remember afresh and to enjoy again the greatness of your forgiveness. Father, for those who are Facing anxiety because of trials. We're still dealing with grief. Lord, we thank you that you care about those things and we pray that your people would come and find refuge in you and rest in you. Be reminded of your unfailing love. And Lord, we need to use the body of Christ to be part of that process of remembering or explaining, Lord, then use us, Lord, to to be truly the body of Christ. where We minister to one another. We care for one another. And Father, for that person who uh, does not know Christ, we pray that you will make them miserable in their sin and they would see true life, true joy, true satisfaction is only in Jesus alone. So Father, thank you for all that you have done for us. And we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.